No, I never saw an angel. But it is irrelevant whether I saw one or not. I feel their presence around me. Paulo Coelho. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Balonius Pundits. I am Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, as per usual, please say hello to Mr. AJ Mass. Why, hello. I am so happy to be here. I am glad we survived that deadly explosion in Central Park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to tell another tale. <laughs> It was it was touch and go there for a bit, but uh, if you were able to drive the ambulance without actually driving the correct distance, uh, anyway, that, that was last time. Let me let me not let me not try to get into that, folks. This is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. Uh, each week, we recap and take a in depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen this show before, so this is my first time viewing each episode, and that's the uh, viewpoint I'm going to give you. And AJ has seen each and every episode many times. We call him our grizzled veteran of the, of the scene. And this week, we are profiling a season four, episode two of Criminal Minds, entitled The Angel Maker. Ooh. This episode is not about Joss Whedon. It was uh, written by Dan Dworkin and Jay Beatty, and it was directed by Glenn Kershaw. It originally aired on October 1, 2008. Shall we get started, AJ? I think we shall. I mean, uh, who could forget last week? Previously on Criminal Minds. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do start with the previously on. We get a recap of the bomb explosion and... It's mainly just so that we can remember Hotch was near an explosion and his ears were all messed up and he shouldn't be flying and whatnot. That was the gist of the previous lease that they gave us this week. Yeah, we're, we're going to actually be contiguous of the storyline here from, from one episode to the next a little bit. So when they do that, they like to give you a little reminder. Either that or when they bring characters back from 12 years previously. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't got there yet, AJ. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I've just I've been rewatching in prep for the uh, reboot, which I will be watching. Uh, you will not be allowed to watch the reboot just yet, but I'm prepping, so I'm actually watching the last season again. And oh man, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to that in about four or five years from now. When we yeah, let's pick up the pace, quick, quick, quick. <laughs> So we have our cold open this week, and it's in Lower Canaan, Ohio. We have a blonde woman who kind of gave me a second-rate Sarah Chalky kind of vibe. She reminded me of. She's home alone. She's in her bathroom, brushing her teeth and whatnot, getting ready for her evening activity of going to sleep. I guess that's not an activity, but... (laughs) Well, yeah, it's an activity that's also a lack of activity. (laughs) And uh, Ablutions. She's doing ablutions. (laughs) And, yeah, and it starts as a typical, uh uh-oh, what's going to happen here kind of scene with the music and everything. 
she hears a noise. She starts walking through her house and she goes to her kitchen. And she does notice that it's just her cat, Bo, who was going for a little bit of a a nightly feed in the kitchen. Apparently the cat just waits till she goes to sleep and then (laughs) tries to go to town on whatever was left over. And uh, look, 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 in fairness, I was watching it. I have two cats. I immediately thought it was cats. <laughs> this, this is normal behavior for cats. I did appreciate the fact that that uh, the, the woman in questions actually says such a cliche. <laughs> yes. Yes. She even knows. Um, she does notice. She notices her kitchen window is open. And uh, it seemed like she didn't maybe think she was the one that opened it, which I don't know, maybe, but I guess in that situation, you just don't, you think, oh yeah, I probably opened it. What are the options? Like, uh, hmm, yeah. did a serial killer break into my house and <laughs> sneak in through that little crack in that window, or did I just open it and forget to close it? <laughs> yeah, I guess you don't want to jump to option A right away, <laughs> she don't realize she on criminal minds. Um, she looks out the window, she's looking at the stars, it's a beautiful night sky, AJ, and she sees a a very realistic looking shooting star streak across the sky. <laughs> oh. I'd see more realistic shooting stars and the openings <laughs> to movie credits with yes. the production company logos. And uh, so she closes her eyes to make a wish. <laughs> and I thought, and I thought my, to myself meanly, I hope she doesn't wish to get killed. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we see a quick shot of someone behind her in the house walk by, sort of flash by. So we know that uh, she is not alone. She doesn't realize she's got a visitor. And so she just winds up going to bed. Time passes. We see it on the clock. <laughs> you know, very nice little dissolve from one time to a later time. It's like one in the morning now. And then her closet door is opening. Scary music is playing, and our unsub enters the scene, brandishing a menacing-looking hammer. And Sarah Shockey girl, we hardly knew ye. The unsub raises the hammer to strike. As the hammer starts to come down, we cut over to Hotch. He is in one of those MRI machines. Loud clicking noises going on. See that he is in some kind of, I'll say discomfort from the sound. Sure, absolutely. I mean, that then under normal circumstances, I don't think that would be a pleasant experience sound-wise, but uh, let alone someone with like some sort of perforated eardrum. Yes. So now he's talking with a doctor, and she's telling him that he's got a small tear in his eardrum. It should heal itself in a week or two. And he's like, should? And she's like, yeah, sometimes it can become permanent. And Hotch seems understanding but his main just his main motivation for this scene is he wants to go back to work he wants her to clear him to go back to work he's he's telling her look i'll uh, i'll stay out of loud places how about i promise that she's she warns him he's got to be careful of that and uh it's just clear hotch just wants to to go back to work it is kind of a bad sign for him, though, that his phone starts ringing and he doesn't even realize it until the doctor <laughs> has to point out to him that his phone is ringing. Okay, but I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate here and say maybe is it loud noises 
or is it lo- noises in certain frequencies? Because if the ringing is, he just can't pick up certain frequencies. Like it, it seems inconsistent with the diagnosis that loud noises will cause you pain. Oh, and you can't hear low this, these high frequencies. Yeah. Just because his ears messed up, loud noise is bad, but he can't hear his phone. I, it, I don't know. It seemed like the, the doctor should have explained things a little better. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I know it's a TV shortcut, but you know, <laughs> ah, ah. Uh, you know, because it's like, oh, I can't hear my phone ringing. Picks the phone up to his ear. Hi, what's going on? Can <laughs> hear the conversation. Right. How does he know who he's talking to? <laughs> <laughs> it turns out he's talking to JJ. She's calling him back to the office. And that's where we cut to next. JJ's talking to the whole team. She's uh, introducing our victim this week from the first scene. Her name was uh, Delilah Grennan. And... Uh, Unfortunately for Delilah, she was apparently bludgeoned to death and then raped. And the other unique thing about this is she has some small puncture wounds in her stomach. Uh, There's no blood coming from any of the wounds, which means these wounds were inflicted post-mortem. And Prentice asks, well, were there any other victims? And JJ says, kind of. <laughs> it turns out what she means by this is that the victimology and the signature happen to match a serial killer's victims from the same town 10 years ago. Uh, a serial killer killed six women. He called himself, and Hotch says, the angel maker, because Hotch remembers the case. As much as we call Reed an encyclopedia, Hotch kind of knows. If it's serial killer related, Hotch yeah. is kind of on point with those two. Obviously, I've, I've that, that's, yeah, that's his thing. I mean, obviously, uh, Gideon also would have immediately taken over this meeting had Gideon still been here because he's like, yeah, well, we, I remember we did that case. They called us in. <laughs> so, yeah, Hotch does remember the case. But also, the killer in that case was caught and he was executed a year ago yesterday which sounds like an anniversary because, you know, hey, a year ago exactly. So guess what? We're probably looking for a copycat. And I said, ooh, a copycat. Maybe it was Bo. But, uh, <laughs> uh, Such a cliche you are. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Reed notes that they found um, semen at the crime scene. And was the DNA done on that? And JJ's like, yeah, that that's already been done. They do have a match. Any guess, guesses, AJ, to, to who that matched? Bo? <laughs> it was Bo. Yes. No. <laughs> of course, it belonged to Cortland Bryce Ryan, a.k.a. The Angel Maker. And we go to credits. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. It's Criminal Minds. I think that's a really good setup for an episode. Uh, nice, compact, you know, crime, follow up on Hotch. And here's the twist. I liked it. Uh, there was one moment at the beginning of that scene where JJ's rid of the case where Morgan comes in and mocks Reed's hair. Yes. Like, nice, nice haircut. And... I think the reason for this is is pretty obvious. I, I was not able to find confirmation on this, but clearly they shot the season premiere at the same time they shot last year's season finale. They didn't wait the six months in between. So they shot those. And now time has passed and they've come to the set 
And Matthew Gray Goobler has a different haircut. Yeah. <laughs> and, but they have to explain why his hair looks so different a week after <laughs> in, in showtime. So they had to point it out. And I thought it was just a nice way for them to, to do it with like Big Brother Morgan going, hey, little bro, what's with the hair? <laughs> yeah. Good point. I, I kind of wondered why, because uh, it didn't really seem to go anywhere as a joke. It was just like a quick aside. But yeah, that makes sense. So next we have uh, Hotch voicing over our quote. As we see news stories and, and various footage from the Angel Maker case, and Hotch says, we all die. The goal isn't to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk. Fight Club. Oh, okay. Let's not talk about him, though. <laughs> oh, now I get it. Okay. First rule of Chuck Palahniuk, you don't talk about Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> And we're on the uh, jet, and the team is going over the case. One thing that was interesting that's different about the cases, uh, the angel maker had had killed his victims with his bare hands, and Delilah Grennan here was bludgeoned with a hammer, which would indicate that this unsub was probably weaker, uh, or thought he was, and uh, or, had to or use a tool. most importantly, uh, not the angel maker. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Unless you're going under the assumption that, well, he's been dead for a year. He's probably weaker. <laughs> yeah. That would tend to make you a little, yeah, a little bit weaker. And Rossi chimes in. You know, I kind of hate when they do like these sort of Rossi being funny moments because <laughs> he says, uh, oh, they have parachutes on board this plane, right? And they're like, well, yeah, that's federal re- regulations. And he says, well, why don't we give one to the elephant in the room? And I was just like, oh, man, come on. Yeah. Who wrote it's, this? It's, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's not even dad joke. It, <laughs> I mean, one of the things I love about Criminal Minds is that they do try to balance really dark with really light. And so that's just, you know, Morgan with the, with the hair joke. And then we, then we talk about a really disturbing case. Like, I, I like the the levity that you know this is their job. There's going to be some gallows humor, but th- th- that was, there's got to be humor. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it should be, it should be funny. And of course, what he's talking about as the elephant in the room is Mr. Ryan's DNA being found on the scene. And Hotch says, "Well, obviously it was planted on the victim." But Reed wants to discuss his theory, and he <laughs> says, "You know what?" Who else would have the exact same DNA? And Morgan is like, oh, my God, you're not going to go the evil twin, are you? And Rita's like, no, I'm going the eviler twin. (laughs) See, that's funny. (laughs) Explaining. Normally you have what we think of as a good twin and an evil twin. But in this case, we started off with an evil twin. And now we have an eviler twin. Hotch is wincing in pain, and it's not at this exchange, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's We can hear from his point of view all of a sudden, and we hear, you know, he's got this high-pitched ring that's clearly bothering him. And Morgan has to look <laughs> at him and says, uh, you've been cleared to fly, haven't you? Uh, quick question for you. Do you think, see, I know the answer because I've seen every episode. I'm the grizzled veteran. Do you think we will actually see them so desperate for episode content that they will do an episode with an eviler twin? 
Um, I think we have to at some point. <laughs> I really think we have to because, yeah, I, I think we will, AJ. That's okay. my answer. <laughs> Very yes. good. You've made your guess. <laughs> Whenever we talk about, oh, there's three types of unsub. We have this type and that type and that type. They usually go and do the other types. So I'm going to extend that and say, yes, if they if they even think about something, <laughs> it'll happen at some point over the course of 15 seasons. <laughs> I could just imagine the writer, the writer who wrote this scene. And it's and it's funny. It's perfect for Reed to do this. <laughs> but you better go. Uh, he's pitched the evil twin like 16 times. <laughs> no, no, not the evil twin, the evil twin <laughs> all through season two, all through three season What if this week, like, no, we're not doing the evil twin. <laughs> and they just gave this line of dialogue to Reed to totally try to shut this down once and for all. <laughs> yes, that could be too. That could be. So next, AJ, we cut to our local sheriff and he's meeting the team. They're outside of our victim's house. And he's saying that the killing has people around town thinking that Horton and Ryan has come back. Also, he points out they discover that the killer has opened every window in Delilah's house before he left the scene. And that was actually a signature from the original murders. But that information was never publicly released and didn't even come out at the trial. So the sheriff is wondering how a copycat would know about the windows. And Hot says, well, the man they're looking for is clearly a fan, someone who's studied these killings, and and he's using them for his own murder fantasies. And Reed says, this, whoever this is, he knows the case as well as we do, maybe even better, especially if he had contact with Ryan while he was incarcerated. And Hot says, okay, so, you know, we've sent an agent to the prison uh, to look into it. That would be Morgan, which we'll see later. Then the sheriff says, well, okay, but what about the semen? And Hodge says, well, obviously, clearly it was smuggled out of the prison, kept on ice, and then brought out to be used on the anniversary of the execution. And Reed explains how there's an entire cottage industry <laughs> based on <laughs> serial killer effects and their memorabilia. And you can get almost anything you want if you know the right people. And this particular cottage in the cottage industry has all the windows open because that's his signature. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. And Hotch is there and he's wondering the one question he says that they have. Is this a one-time thing or is there more victims to come? Yeah. I mean, certainly I would think it's possible that this is a one-time thing. In fact, if I were uh, someone who was in the area and was familiar with the case and wanted to kill our poor victim for reasons, doing it on the anniversary of the death of the serial killer and making it look like he did it and then being a ghost that never comes back again is probably a pretty good way to get away with it, quite frankly. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> is it wrong that I'm thinking this? Probably, but I do yeah. watch a lot of true crime. I mean, it just makes sense to me. Like at this point, there's really nothing for them to to catch this this unsub if they wanted to like make it a one and done. I'm good. Yo yo, <laughs> feelings yeah, done. <laughs> <laughs> so our next scene is at the morgue where Prentice and Rossi are talking to the medical examiner, 
And the medical examiner thinks that the puncture wounds were made by a small tool like a Phillips head screwdriver. And apparently the groupings of these puncture wounds on all of the bodies in the past were different in terms of the number of wounds that there actually were and how they were arranged. On this case, the coroner found traces of notebook paper in the wounds, which is a slight difference from the from the earlier case. And Prentice is looking at the wounds, kind of staring at them, and, and Rossi is asking her what's up. And she can't exactly place it, but there is something familiar about those wounds or how they look to Prentice. We then go to uh, Morgan. He's over at the prison, and he's talking to a guard who to me looked like a, a second rate. I think that's my thing, AJ. Second rate. All these minor parts <laughs> are, I'm going to say, who the second rate. I said this guard is a second rate, rate Frank Oz. <laughs> uh, okay, sure. <laughs> he just looked like uh, to, uh, Frank Oz from his scene in The Blues Brothers. That's how he looked to me. I mean, I, I, I will say it's it's it, it, he stood out enough to know that we weren't done with him when we left the prison. Let's put it that way. Right. I, I wish they would put some more nondescript people here or give them like less interesting lines of dialogue or something like when they really want to make it like, oh, he's not coming back. Uh, ah, yeah. surprise. Like it, it was just like, yeah, this, we're not done with this guy. <laughs> yeah. He's clearly got something else to do in this story. But uh, anyway, he's gathering a box of, of Ryan's correspondence for Morgan, and there's a lot of letters in, in there. And the guard tells Morgan, well, yeah, he had a lot of fans. He was a real lady killer. And Morgan just looks at him like, oh, come on. Not cool, man. <laughs> not cool. <laughs> more and more uh, of this humor that we don't think is humor. <laughs> yeah. And Morgan asks the guard if... He, he had any male fans and the guard says, well, yeah, there were some freaks, you know, uh, there was one kid in particular that would come by, must've been looked like a musician. He wore black clothes, eyeliner and all that. This kid even sent Ryan a demo tape and some sheet music that he wrote in his own blood. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and, uh, Morgan asked the guard if he ever caught Ryan smuggling out anything you know, using this kid or anyone else. And the guard says, well, they usually worry more about stuff being smuggled in. than not out. And uh, at that point, Morgan gets a call from JJ and he tells her he's headed back. And the guard is kind of paying attention. And when he hangs up, he's like, oh, what's up? And uh, <laughs> Morgan says, well, there's a local newspaper. They got a letter from someone claiming to be the angel maker. And again, it's not so much the scene. I think this is more the acting in the scene. Like, you know, this this guy knows he's he's involved. <laughs> and yeah. so he's acting nefarious as opposed to just play the scene straight, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let us be surprised. Let us I, be look, surprised. Look, if I, if I was in that situation, uh, uh, the, Morgan's visit is probably the most interesting thing that's happened to this guy in months. Right. <laughs> He's in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, <laughs> and the one famous person who was in their in their uh, care, let's put quote care, uh, has been dead for years. So there's probably not a lot going on there. <laughs> Good point. So we cut back to the sheriff's department, and and Reed is reading the letter. Reed reads. <laughs> Reed reads. 
the letter uh, from our supposed angel maker to the newspaper. He says, I gave you a legacy, a breath of life from the angel maker himself. Those who prayed to forget me will one day see my face and shrink in fear. And Reed is looking at the letter. Let's remember he's the handwriting man. And so when Hotch asks him about it, he says it does share some characteristics with the original correspondence. And when Hotch asks him to take his best guess at it, Reed says, yeah, I would say it is authentic. And the sheriff is like, um, okay, well, how? If he has been <laughs> dead, dead for a year. And, uh, Good question, local cop, whose name I didn't bother to learn this entire episode because yeah. he's just there to be a, a questioner. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even, I just, Sheriff. Hot um, <laughs> uh, says, well, we could be dealing with an elaborate forgery. And then Reed also points out that it could actually be a gen- genuine letter just written before his death and maybe sent out by an intermediary, i.e. the copycat. So what they're going to do now is go over the prison visitor logs to see who had multiple visits with Ryan. And then meanwhile, there's a woman who comes into the station and she's asking the sheriff, if it's true, is there a letter? And the sheriff is like, Sela, how did you know? And she's like, you can't keep stuff like that quiet around here. I'm, I'm kind of wondering how she knew myself because, I mean, we just found out about the letter and already Sela's <laughs> up over there, but... I guess, because, I guess. because Sila has friends who work at the paper. <laughs> yeah. And uh, look, the sheriff is like trying to convince her it's not from Cortland Ryan. It, you know, it can't be. And and Sila's like, what if you're wrong? And the sheriff is like, there's no such thing as ghosts. And Sila says, look, I'm not talking about ghosts. I heard there were rumors about the execution not going right. Uh, so what if he's still out there? The sheriff gives Hotch a look like, oh, no, that, that's not it. And Sela sees this look and she's like, don't do that. You think I'm the only one who thinks that? Look out there. And they go to the window. There's a lot of people gathering outside. And Sela says, they want proof that he's dead. So because this is a TV show and we're going to a graveyard, <laughs> it's now nighttime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they couldn't do this. That like. Right then, when it was right. brought up. Uh, counterpoint. Counterpoint. Yes. If I were the sheriff of this small town, I would not want this getting out <laughs> that I was doing this ex- exhuming of the body. Uh, I would want to do it that night before word got out to lessen the looky-loos. And then the next day say, hey, we did it. And here it is. Because if, if he goes out there and says, look, all right, we'll take care of it. Then the camp out begins <laughs> at the cemetery. Yeah, that's true. So I'm okay doing this under the cover of darkness. So, yes, it is now night. We are at a graveyard. And Hotch is like, uh, I'm just letting you know, I have to advise against this. And the sheriff is sort of a, a my town, my rules kind of guy. He says he has to prove to his town that this guy is dead. And that's not the only reason. And that's not the only reason. The, the like we will find out confirmation of this, but that relationship between him and and the woman Sheila, seemed yeah. way too friendly. And I was just like, is he is he with her and is doing this because he's got to go home to the house with her? <laughs> I think you are correct, sir. And 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 we will get confirmation of that 
by the end of this episode, sort of. Um, but I, I certainly see there, there she did play it like, Hey, we're in a relationship and was never said in that scene, but you could pick up on it and it's important, but not that important. <laughs> so Hutch says to the sheriff, you could be indulging the killer by perpetuating this ruse that he's created. And Prentice says, yeah, it may even embolden him, prompt him to commit more murders. The sheriff talking about Sela says, look, she, she lost her only daughter to that bastard. They happened to meet while he was working on the case and they grew close and he thought they had gotten past all this. (laughs) Yes. Very close. AJ. He thought they had gotten past all of this stuff, but he guesses they, that he must've been kidding himself. And then he uh, nods to start some machinery that is doing the coffin raising and a loud noise from the machine. Clearly the tractor, I guess it was pulling the track of the, the uh, coffin up. And that loud noise clearly starts bothering Hotch. He's putting over his hands over his ears. He walks away. Uh, Prentice notices this. She goes after him. And we start hearing the sound from Hotch's point of view. Prentice's voice is muffled. You can barely hear her. There's a ringing sound, high-pitched ringing sound. And Prentice is asking if she can do anything. And it's a whole little scene. And then after a second, Hotch is like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, okay. I'm okay. So they come back over to the gravesite. The coffin is up now at this point. It's opened. We don't see it at first. The sheriff just says, oh, my God. And then we cut to the coffin, and lo and behold, it is empty. Dun, dun, we go to a break, and I'm thinking, wow, the serial killer came back from the dead and is killing people again. <laughs> it must be. Must be either that or his evil twin. <laughs> his evil twin. I'm still not ru- ruling Bo out either. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I'm uh, just happy there wasn't any like satanic mummy or something there. <laughs> we didn't go down that road again. <laughs> so when we come back from break, there we're with uh, Rossi and Morgan, and they're talking to the, I guess, the prison doctor who I noted as a second-rate Miguel Ferrer type. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't think this bit's going to go past this episode. (laughs) I had fun. Um, And he's he's pronounced... He's the one that pronounced Cortland Ryan as dead, and he is insisting, no, homeboy was dead. (laughs) Like, you can trust me. I am... uh, It's not the first execution I've... I've, uh, done this at uh this guy's heart was stopped his pupils were non-responsive homeboy homeboy was dead (laughs) (laughs) take 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 your conspiracy theories post them on reddit or something (laughs) exactly uh when he says that it wasn't the first execution he's done rossi is like yeah but it was your last one uh, it seems <laughs> everyone in the room parachute. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> you you quit after that particular one. Did something happen that prompted your resignation? And the doctor has a haunted look in his eyes, and he says, "Everyone dies different." And Ryan went hard. So then we start to see the execution, and and the doctor is saying the. They cycled the drug through Ryan once, and then they realized he was still alive. 
It turns out there was a malfunctioning catheter that kept getting dislodged. and They had to restart it. And he was shaking and spitting. And basically, he was suffocating. And it took him almost an hour to die. The doctor says it's as if something were keeping him here. Also, he says that Brian said this was going to happen. His last words were that he said he would come back. And then we cut to some footage of Brian as he's strapped up almost in a Christ-like manner to his his deathbed. And he's saying, you haven't seen the last of me. I will be born again. Today, you will make me a legend. And uh, the sheriff and, and Hotch and Rossi are watching this tape. And Rossi says... Uh, He set the stage perfectly. He's a latter-day Lazarus returning to deliver hell on earth. (laughs) Or, or, hear me out, he's a cocky son of a bitch serial killer who's just, you know, getting one last good monologue in. (laughs) Because he's an artist. Possibility. Possibility, AJ. Hotch says, look, we got to debunk this or the whole town is going to panic. <laughs> the sheriff kind of made me laugh when he's like, well, it's a little bit late for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they can explain the grave robbing, by the way. that says it has to be a fan, somebody who was, you know, obsessed with this guy. The sheriff says, so you think the same person who did the copycat murder t- is the one who took the body? And Hotch is saying, yeah, that's possible. Uh, but to do that, he had to have help. He had to have someone on the inside. And the sheriff is like, and now are you going to tell me there's a cottage industry for that too? <laughs> oh, snap, sheriff. Trying to get some good lines in, even though we don't know who you are. <laughs> so next we cut to a hideous looking picture of some clown and a guy. Horrible artwork. And uh, we realize that it's Garcia talking to Prentice. And Morgan, as they're driving along, and uh, Garcia is looking at this. This is apparently the the contraband artwork that you can get from your serial killer. And Garcia is freaked out about the clowns. And Prentice has to say that it's called cholerophobia, which is an abnormal fear of clowns. Yes, cholerophobia. I'm very familiar with it since I suffer from it. I do not like oh. clowns. Um, not not a fan, although a fan enough of. Uh, of the true crime genre to recognize that they had one of Gacy's paintings there that Garcia was looking at because he was known for painting self-portraits and he was a clown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then Garcia, Garcia yeah, yeah. I, go, go ahead because this was a horrific story. This is worse than anything we've heard on the show, I think. Yeah. She says there's nothing abnormal about her fear of clowns. When I was 12... A hobo clown groped my breast at a birthday party and made this old-timey honking noise when he did it, and apparently making it funny makes it okay. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, that's horrible. (laughs) And Prentice and Morgan are just kind of looking at each other like, Garcia. (laughs) Like, what? And again... I I talk about praising the show for making lighthearted you know, jokes to like uh, take away from the morbidness, but like, this is, this is not doing it. I hope they didn't think that was a funny story. Yeah. (laughs) That's horrible. I mean, (laughs) if I think about it, the, 
the 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 old timey honking noise, the way she described it, is kind of that yes. is kind of funny. But the situation yeah. is not at all. And, yes, and if she's she's willing to laugh at it years later, okay. But yeah, no, no this is nothing. No, <laughs> doesn't no, work. No. Prentice then just goes on to her next question, which is she if she found any auctions on the from on the uh, Angel Maker memorabilia, and Garcia found a lot. This guy apparently put out a lot of content. Um, he, he autographed everything. He had photos. He had panties and uh, even autographed screwdrivers. Ha <laughs> ha! How clever. <laughs> He also made little origami figurines out of cigarette boxes. And Garcia actually thought that they're kind of cute. They asked if uh, she knows who bought this stuff. And apparently most of his collectors were overseas. Didn't really have many collectors on this side of the pond. But there was one local guy who appeared to be a distributor of this stuff. And uh, his name is Sid Rutledge. Morgan recognizes the name Sid Rutledge because AJ, in a shocking twist, Sid Rutledge is the guard that what? Morgan was talking to at the oh, prison. Oh, no. You mean someone who might have tried to maneuver himself into the investigation somehow <laughs> by making sure he was the one who talked to the FBI agent visiting? Ay, <laughs> So we cut to Rutledge's house. Okay, we do. We cut to Rutledge's house. Now, here's, here's you were talking earlier about, like, oh, why are they doing this at night, doing the, the uh, exhumation? That I had a reason for. What I didn't have a reason for is how they go to his house. It is broad daylight when they're in the car talking to Garcia. And now it is pitch black nighttime when they arrive at Rutledge's house. How far away does he live in this small town that it took them at least seven hours to get there? Maybe Kansas? Uh, I mean, seriously? Seriously. So he's not answering his door. The door is unlocked, AJ, even though he's got two deadbolts. Neither one of them is locked. So Morgan and Prentice enter. Their guns are drawn. They do the clear thing throughout the house. And then they find Sid's body on the bed. Sid has been shot, shot twice, one uh, bullet wound in the head and one bullet wound in the groin, which clearly indicates this was something personal. They figure if Rutledge was selling memorabilia, that means he knows who the unsub is. And now the unsub is covering his tracks. Rutledge probably contacted the killer after Morgan was at the prison. And as they're figuring this out, Prentice has gone to the bathroom and she's searching through it. And uh, she sees a bottle of pills and she says, oh, it looks like he took something. And she reads it. And then when she does, she looks over to Morgan and she says, guess what? I think we've got this unsub all wrong. Yes, they got it all wrong. I mean, they do mention that there's a very heavy aftershave smell. Mm -hmm. And a little little, little comedy there as Morgan just goes sniff, sniff, and knows exactly what aftershave it is. It's Aquabelba. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, my man. <laughs> Leia, no. Um, but yeah, okay. So the corpse is lying in bed. 
He's not wearing any pants. <laughs> He's been shot in the groin. There's a heavy aftershave smell. I think we know that pill's probably blue. <laughs> he took. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't say it, but it's clear what they've gotten wrong about the unsub. Mm-hmm. So we cut to the sheriff's office, and basically we're now in our profile scene. Uh, Hotch is talking. Look, guys, <laughs> we're not after a ghost. Wow, no- thank goodness he eliminated that. <laughs> yes. We're not after a werewolf. It is not a chupacabra. <laughs> uh, we are not looking at a serial killer that is back from the dead. In fact, we are looking at somebody who lives right here in Lower Canaan. And guess what? This person is a woman. <clears throat> yes. The last victim, Sid Rutledge, was the angel maker's mule. And he would smuggle things out of the prison, including the semen that was planted at the first crime scene. And our unsub killed Rutledge because he knew that she was the copycat and he was blackmailing her. Uh, Rutledge, it turns out, was transferred from his previous job at a female prison in the wake of allegations that he was using his position to leverage sexual favors from the inmates. And I got to ask, why do you just get a transfer? Why don't you lose your job when you, when you do something okay, like that? Okay, I, I, I 100% agree with you. However, <laughs> it's not exactly a job that people are clamoring to do. Mm. And if he is someone who wants to prey on females and you put them in an all-male facility, well, that's not going to happen. And if you put him with like serial killers and stuff, maybe something will happen to him that's worse than firing and he'll get what's coming to him. So I think I'm kind of okay with it. <laughs> I mean, sure, there should be some prosecution involved, but if you're right. not going to go that route, I mean, he's still spending the rest of his life in jail. Yeah. Or unfortunately for him, uh, he messed with the wrong person. Well, and, uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. So... He, they figure he did the same thing to our unsub, and in exchange for his silence, not giving her up, he wanted sex. And a random cop says, well, because she shot him in the junk, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just laughed at that. Uh, blunt phrasing. And Reed is like, yes. And also, he took a PD-5 inhibitor shortly before his murder, and Morgan explains to everybody else that that's Viagra. Um <laughs> uh, Hotch says they're looking for a white woman in her mid-30s. She's highly intelligent. She's not just a fan of this guy. She's a groupie. Um, She's probably not anything what you're expecting her to be like. And then they talk about a few different types, again, of unsub that it could be. And I'm going to skip the other type completely and just cut to the fact this this one is sexually attracted to men who commit violent crimes. Uh, doing so gives her a power that she lacks, which would normally stem from low self-esteem and the need for a father figure. And so then another cop says, well, OK, fine. But how do you explain the rapes? And they say, well, she used an instrument uh, to simulate the sexual assault. She would carry it in her rape kit along with the murder weapon, her hammer. And JJ has a list of the women who visited the angel maker in the prison. It's a big, huge list. They're going to need a lot of help parsing through this thing. Next, we cut to Prentice, who is with Rossi. They're getting out of a car. 
Apparently they are going to visit one. I'm going to skip all of the stupid Barry Manilow jokes they make. <laughs> Cause they, <laughs> it just annoyed me. Uh, <laughs> they're there to find the house of one Shara, Shara Carol, Carlino who visited Ryan over 70 times. <laughs> so that's a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, probably the first one <laughs> on your list. <laughs> Yes, she was a a marketing VP in Cincinnati till 1999. When she moved here, she took an outside sales job, commission only. It was a serious pay cut. And uh, I guess they're on her doorstep of her home. And Rossi says he's guessing she came there for the view. And then we look up with the camera because right across the street from Charlotte's house is the prison. It looks like Shawshank. (laughs) Just (laughs) huge prison right across the street from a house. I mean, I will give the writers at least credit for showing a little some restraint and not naming this woman Mandy after all the Barry Manilow jokes. <laughs> uh, maybe they just thought Patankin would see it and get a little uh, hey, you know, <laughs> insulted not be, thinking about it. as well. You never know. <laughs> yes. So cut to them, Prentice and uh, Rossi talking with Sharla. And they say, uh, according to the logs, you were the Angel Maker's number one fan. She is insulted at that. She says, his name is Cortland, and she is not a fan. In fact, when she's asked their relationship is, she says they were lovers. And so they ask her where she happened to be on the 16th of this month. And she's like, why? And they tell her that they believe the copycat killer was a female fan, someone who, in fact, knew Cortland very well. And she says, hey, I was out of town for my job. You can ask anyone about that. So they start to ask her, okay, well, what about the other women? And Charlotte is like, there are no others. And Prentice is like, uh, uh, look, we have logs of visits. We have fan letters. We have women who sent him their pictures, women who sent him their underwear. And Charlotte says, no, no, no. They didn't mean anything to him. And Prentice is like, yeah, but whatever connection you had with Cortland was severed when he died. But that's not the case for this copycat. Every time she kills, it reinforces their love. Good play here by Prentice, by the way. And Rossi says, uh, that is, of course, unless you help us to stop her. She hears that and thinks about it. And she admits that he sent a letter a few months before he was killed. Although she didn't, couldn't bring herself to say killed. And she says she knows that the letter wasn't for her because he addressed it to my dove. And he never called her that. And uh, they ask her for the letter, but she doesn't have it. She burnt it. How come? Well, usually his prose was seamless and thoughtful, she says, and beautiful. But this text was it was just pedestrian and crude. And Prentice is like, so you never asked him who this dove was? I thought there weren't any secrets between you. And Sharla just looks at her. Shara looks at her and says, you've never been in love, have you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, damn. Okay, Shara. I said, I said there were no secrets. I didn't say there were no unasked questions because you didn't want to hear the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so next we cut to a house somewhere, and we know immediately bad things are in store because the window is open. <laughs> uh, I mean, kudos, kudos to a TV show that makes an, uh, a window that's open <laughs> an inch and a half scary. Yeah. And we see our unsub from the uh, back view opening another window. And we can see that there is a tattoo of a dove 
on our um sub's neck. Then we realize there's a victim in a bed. Looks like, unfortunately, we do have another victim and the unsub is carefully arranging the body and then pulling up on the victim's nightshirt enough to reveal her abdomen. Then we see she's placing a sheet of paper with dots on it over the abdomen. And then she grabs her screwdriver and she hovers it over one of the dots on the paper and plunges in the screwdriver and we go to a break. We come back from the break. We are at our new crime scene. Our sheriff tells us that the victim is one Maxine Chandler. She lived here her whole life, all 28 years of it anyway. And Hotch is looking around and seeing that there's like a playground in the yard and a bunch of toys and whatnot. And he asks how many kids she has. And the sheriff says, well, she didn't have any of her own. Actually, she she runs a daycare. Apparently, some guy came to drop off his kid. He found Maxine in her bedroom. And Prentice reports that the entry points of the home have no damage, no tool marks. It's just like the first victims. And Hotch says now that they have two victims, they can compare the data. And the Emmy comes out and says that he puts the time of death around 2 a.m. The victim was struck multiple times with a blunt object. And just like before, there were signs of penetration. Um, There were fluids. Same post-mortem mutilation, but a different pattern. Prentice and Hotch look at the puncture marks. There are nine of them this time. It doesn't feel like mounting rage to them. So Prentice starts to sketch the marks on her notebook, and then she has a realization. This is what the unsub must have done. Made dots on paper before making the puncture wounds. And that's why there was paper found in the wounds. She needed to work with a template. Our original angel angel maker did it from memory, so he didn't need paper. But she needed a guide of some kind in order to get it right. And Hot says, okay, well, we need to re-examine each of the patterns. Uh, And where is Reed? (laughs) If you're going to do this, where (laughs) is Reed? Look, you know, I, I... Yes, figure figure out that it comes from a template. I wish it, they could have just figured out, hey, maybe this pattern means something. Let's see if the pattern means, the pattern's different every time. You know, it's a signature if the pattern's the same every time. It also could be a signature if the pattern's different every time. Let's look at the, why do we need to have her fiddling in her notebook to figure it out? Like, it's just, ugh. Yeah. It's because we have an hour to fill. <laughs> <laughs> so next we cut to Reed. And uh, Reed is actually with Rossi, still going through the correspondence from Ryan that he's uh, written to his dove. And the letters seem to make little sense. I think the phrase they use, it's almost like some bizarre death death row haiku. And uh, (laughs) Rossi is like, I mean, you, you actually have to try to write this bad. And that makes Reed go, oh, yeah, wait, I think he did. I think he tried very hard, in fact, to put each word and each specific letter in the exact right order. And Rossi catches on. He's like, so this is like a code. Oh. (laughs) And Rossi discovers codes. (laughs) (laughs) And so he asks uh, Reed what he's going to need to crack it. And (laughs) I like Reed's line here of the ability to clone myself and a year's supply of Adderall. (laughs) Uh, Rossi just says he'll put on the coffee. 
we cut over to Hotch, JJ, Morgan, and Prentice, and they're trying to go over the victimology. And uh, Prentice is pointing out, small towns suck for victimology. <laughs> and that's because a lot of the victimology overlaps in small towns. Yeah, they, they, they all work at the same places yeah. on the same street. They go to the same businesses and stores and churches exactly. and whatnot. Absolutely. And that's happened with both the victims here. And uh, they're trying to figure out what exactly is going on with their unsub. And the unsub seems to be mimicking the angel maker. But she's not exactly like the angel maker because she's not really looking for sexual gratification. Seems like she's just trying to recreate these murders. Um, so what does she need since that's kind of a different victimology? She says, they say, well, she needs victims that are easy to kill. Uh, it's got to be easy to access their homes. They ask, Hotch asks what Delilah Grinnan did, and it turns out she made jewelry and sold it out of her home. So that means both victims uh, had home-based businesses, which means that any stranger could walk in off the street. They'd probably be a prospective client uh, client so they would pose as a customer that means they could uh, go in maybe use the bathroom crack a window to get back in a little bit later so they decide to check the business records to see who came to each uh, location on the day of the murders uh, but none of the names on on those rack records match we cut to a bit later and it's nighttime again and <laughs> Morgan is standing outside and he's looking at the sky and Prentice comes out. She's carrying a box of, uh, of evidence and Morgan is remarking on how clear the sky is and how you can see a lot more stars here than you can in DC. And Prentice is like, ah, yeah, it's beautiful. And then as she's looking at the sky, she realizes something and she says, Oh my God, we cut to them at back at the station. Can we, can we, can we before we cut back to the station? Morgan is looking at the stars because the sky is so clear here. There are eight freaking stars in the sky. <laughs> the only stars in the sky are the eight stars in the pattern that Emily notices. Eight yeah. stars in the sky. It's so beautiful. <laughs> look at look at all the stars you can see. All eight of them. Come on. <laughs> Can't see that in DC. <laughs> Come on. Eight <laughs> stars in the sky. Just have me the eight stars that fit the pattern. Yeah. Do better. <laughs> Do better, criminal minds. So now we cut to them at the station, and Prentice is saying what the puncture wounds are, what they represent. They represent constellations. These constellations that they are talking about, and they've already got them up on the screen, is from a family of constellations that's known as the heavenly waters. So they're not doing a zodiac thing, they're doing a heavenly waters thing. And this is why he opens the windows after each kill, so that their souls could be released to the night sky. And Prentice starts reading off the names of the constellations. Delphinius, the dolphin. Equalius, the little horse. Anything sound familiar? And Morgan says, oh yeah, his little origami things. And uh, Hotch says, so there's nine constellations in the heavenly waters. The angel maker did Six with his six six victims. This unsub has already killed two. That means she has one more victim to go. The last constellation to be done is Columba, and that's the dove. 
Oh, what a coincidence. So, 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 what? yeah, totally coincidence. Mm-hmm, sure. So my question is, <laughs> if he calls her Dove, <laughs> and the last constellation is the Dove, representing the last victim, do you see where I'm going here? Was his plan for her to kill herself? Mm. Wouldn't that be your thought at this point? Yeah, I mean, I thought maybe, yeah, yeah. I thought maybe he was going to kill her, but I maybe he didn't know her before then, but I don't well, yeah, know. Yeah, if he didn't know her before, then, you know, she's she's fallen off but, here. But uh, it's like, uh, I don't understand. I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. It, it really, it's something that doesn't work in this episode, and that that's pretty much it. You know, spoiler alert for the end of this episode, it fits, but that's kind of my point. <laughs> it shouldn't fit. So Hotch says, well, she must have knew the meaning of the stomach wounds. And Morgan says she must have been closer to Ryan than they thought. And Reed says, well, they weren't just close. And we pan over and it looks like he has actually cracked the code on the letters because he's got several letters circled. So he must know what he's talking about now. Uh, Reed says, they weren't just close, they were in love. And now we cut to Reed, and he's explaining how he cracked the code. In order to do so, he profiled Ryan, who was on death row with a lot of the Aryan Brotherhood. And the Aryans happened to like a cipher that was based on a 400-year-old code that was written by Sir Francis Bacon. Morgan says, so it's a binary code. And Reed is like, yeah, Bacon used a 21-letter alphabet. This one is 24. Each letter is assigned a string of five binary digits. That means there's 32 possible encodings. Normally, you'd use a computer to do these combinations, but it was quicker for me to just do it longhand until I found the right one. And <laughs> Prentice touches Reed's face and just says, he's so lifelike. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, love love this interaction here, but let's be real. There is no there is no way in a million years that Reed would have figured this out. <laughs> Just no way. Oh look, he's got six lines of letters here. I know it's an Aryan cipher based on a twenty four letter alphabet by Sir Francis Bacon. <laughs> Come on, yeah. Come on. I'll I'll even spot you that information. He's still not figuring this out. <laughs> So now we get a well. There's a montage as as Reed is kind of going over what the letters uh, were between Cortland and his dove, and they're writing these coded letters back and forth to each other, and it's all very metaphysical and wishy washy, and uh, it ends with the unsub saying, "I will bring a part of you back into this world, and forever you will watch over us from the stars." And uh, so Prentice is wondering about this line about bringing a part of him back. And maybe could she have been talking about a child? <gasps> and Rossi says she used the semen samples to plant evidence not to get pregnant. And Hodge says, well, what if she did both? And Prentice says, well, if she had his kid, they might be able to track her through the birth records. Meanwhile, the sheriff comes in. He lets them know that they just had a report of a woman attacked in her house by a female assailant. And the woman is okay. Doesn't sound like he can say the same for the attacker because the neighbors heard the cries for help. And pretty soon, half the block was on this woman. So 
apparently the 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 attacker didn't do fare too well here. It didn't fare too well. I do like to give points to JJ for figuring out that she must be pregnant because JJ herself is pregnant and it's on her mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't take any special skills there. She's like, hey, I'm pregnant. Pregnant, yeah. She <laughs> sounds like some of the thoughts, the things I'm right. Reading. That makes sense. Yeah. We cut to the uh, new crime scene and the cop that's there explains the situation. The victim was coming home from work and the suspect approached her in her driveway, asked to use a phone to call a tow truck. She let her into her house and that's when the suspect jumped her. And Hotch points out, well, that's not our unsubs MO. And so they look over to the suspect who is in the back of a cop car and Prentice is looking at her and realizes that the suspect is Shara. She tells Hotch that her and Rossi already interviewed her. She's got a solid alibi. She's not the unsub. So Prentice goes over to the car and goes over to Shara and she asks her why. And Shara's like, it just, it it worked for her. Why not for me? I just want us to be together again. So she's just in some nonsense in her she's head. Just yeah. She's just totally nonsense. I will say, Ah, no wonder this town has been beset by serial killers and whatnot. I mean, if half the block was on this woman, Shara, and she nothing happened to yeah. her, she's fine. <laughs> but they didn't really do a very good job. Yeah, she was in a little bit of better shape than they made it out to be. I mean, there was like, get her, get her, rah, rah, rah. What happened? Uh, we put her yeah. back there. <laughs> I think maybe there was like some bruising or blood or a little bit of something, but nothing too too serious. You know, I, 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 yeah, you don't want the the crowd to be vigilante, but it sounds like this crowd is scared and is going to be vigilante. And that's the killer. Get her, get her, get her. Eh, yeah. in the car. <laughs> <laughs> so after a break, we now cut to Garcia, who's talking to JJ, and they're trying to narrow down the 463 children that she's pulled up uh, that were born in the area between 2006 and 2008. And they want to narrow it down to the ones that could possibly be the angel maker's baby. And JJ is like, well, Reed is still decoding the letters, but one of them has a phrase that says, I knew even before they told me that the future had taken root. And they figure that this must mean that's when he found out about the pregnancy. So the date of that letter was January 7th, 2007. And Garcia is like, okay, so I'll search the birth records nine months after that. And JJ is like, uh, 10 months after that. Trust me, I know. So there you go again. She's <laughs> because she's pregnant. Yeah. She knows uh, <laughs> she knows what what the deal is. Well, because, because she's pregnant, she knows that the, the myth of nine months is a myth. Of course, anyone who's had a kid knows that. But it's still the common common uh, nine months later. Whoa, whoa, whoa yeah. is oh, nine and three weeks technically. But yeah. <laughs> so they searched the birth records. And I, they filter the list down some more to single mothers only. And that provides them a list that is nine late names long. They have the sheriff take a look at the list. He's able to cut out a couple of the names. Uh, and then he spots one more name that sounds familiar to him, but he can't place it. Chloe Kelcher. And Reed hears that and says, yeah, that name is familiar. And so he goes over and grabs a file out of a box. And it turns out that Chloe Kelcher was a juror at Ryan's trial. And I call bullshit. <laughs> Not that you, that, because if Reed heard the name and recognized the name, then he wouldn't have to look it up. Yeah. 
he, he immediately go, she was on the jury. Yeah, good point. <laughs> because that's how Reed works. It, it, so if he recognizes the name, it's because he read it and he'd remember it. So then they figure out that that must have been where she fell in love with Ryan and she learned all the details of all of his killings. The sheriff says, yeah, well, how do you go from being like in a relationship in love to killing people? And Reed says, well, there must have been some kind of an incident that transformed her. And Hotch has a folder and he says he thinks he's found it. Apparently, Chloe's baby died at the hospital. And now my question is, why is that file there? <laughs> yeah. Why would why th- that would have nothing to do with this whatsoever, as far as they know. They have a list of nine names that run it through the list of names, but he's got a file. And even if she was on the jury, it would not be her jury person file. None of this makes any sense. You know, I didn't even stop to think about that one, but it was a very good point. And it just (laughs) puts the uh, icing on the cake for this episode. Garcia should have clickety-clacked that. Yeah. Like, here are the nine, and he, like, that makes no sense. So then we cut to them at Chloe's house. The team does the whole clear thing. They come into the house, but Chloe is nowhere to be found. And so Hotch is like, okay, we know what her end game is. She's looking for a final victim. Everybody just tear this place apart. Look for anything that'll let us know who she's targeting. So they go through the house and uh, Morgan finds a, a child's room that has those glow stars all over the ceiling and he says uh oh daddy's watching (laughs) (laughs) in this room there's a trunk they open the trunk in the trunk is a zombie not a zombified a skeletified body (laughs) mummified Mummified. that's the word i'm looking for mummified body it is clearly ryan's body well, I mean, we hope yeah. so. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> we don't do any DNA testing yeah. right here, but yeah, we can assume so. Meanwhile, uh, Rossi has found an appointment book that had the listings of the appointments that Chloe had with the first two victims. And conveniently enough, it has the appointment that she had scheduled today. with Someone named Faye Landro he starts to read the address. And the sheriff is able to finish it. He he knows who Faye is. That's an accountant. Let's head over to her place. Okay. Now, two things about this. One, absolutely fine that the sheriff knows. It, probably the address shouldn't have been in there. Like, just have the sheriff say, I know, she's my accountant. And they should have joked that, hey, that's a positive thing about small towns, which would have countered the comment earlier that it's a horrible thing about small towns. <laughs> the positive thing is that everybody knows everybody. So that would have been nice. Rossi is just way too casual with this information, though. Yeah. I mean, it's like, they want to find the last victim. Hey, I have this appointment book, and it has the appointments with the two people she killed, and uh, there's an appointment this morning with someone <laughs> like, like <laughs> Get a little urgency, Rossi. You think, Jeez. Rossi? <laughs> oh, oh my God, there's an appointment with someone today. It's going to put the... Put the, put the urgency right there's an appointment with someone maybe we should go check it out do you think oh boy so now they have to rush over to Faye's house they get there they see the car parked there that the sheriff identifies yeah that's that's chloe's car 
they see that most of the windows on the house are closed. So that's actually a good sign. Hotch has Morgan go run around the house and try to find an open window because they know there's got to be one open window there somewhere. I don't understand this either. I really don't. I I get it. They don't want to storm the place and just bust down the doors because that might cause her to like kill Faye. Okay, fine. But go around, see if you can find the open window or just do something and pick the lock in the back or get in, open a window. Like there's ways to go in these houses and do a soft entry. I mean, it's it's not something you haven't done before. Mm No, I'm going to keep walking around until I find the the, the one in- window that she's left open by an inch and a half. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, Hotch is going to order the rest of the team out to the front of the house. She's going to he's going to have the cops put all their lights on the house and and going to get a megaphone. I would have thought he maybe send one or two other cops to like hang around out back while Morgan is like trying to just in case you know something goes down. In the- <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. Thank you for even following up on what I just said with even something that makes more sense. Hey, why don't you five cops go and look for the open window? (laughs) We've got 30 here. Let's just send Morgan by himself. We know if there's one arm sub inside whose whose murder weapon is a hammer. (laughs) Now, granted, she might have other weapons with her, but... One woman with a hammer. <laughs> Shh! Don't wake the baby. <laughs> what baby? Oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. So the rest of the cops go out to the front, and it's it's all very tense and actiony. <laughs> and uh, and Chloe comes up to Faye's bed. Faye is sleeping peacefully. Chloe has got her hammer out. <laughs> Uh, bang bang chloe silver hammer she starts to raise it and that's exactly when hotch decides okay i'm not gonna talk to her because i probably can't talk her down here prentice you do it <laughs> basically <laughs> has her the megaphone <laughs> and uh they cut on the lights and, and, and again might i add this is this is not like a mansion, a sprawling estate. It's a simple house that maybe has three access windows on the ground floor total. (laughs) Yeah. How long is it going to take Morgan to find this window? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very good point. But uh, yeah, so they cut on the lights and Prentice immediately starts talking. Chloe, this is the FBI. We know you're in there. We know what you're trying to do. And of course, this wakes up Faye, and uh, she's like, "Oh, screaming, kind of. Oh no, uh, somebody's in my house." Um, <laughs> and uh, and Chloe's just like, "Don't move! I swear to God, I'll split you in two. And she has a rollover, and uh, it, it's a tense action scene. AJ's Prentice is trying to 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 sweet not sweet talk. She's trying to convince Chloe that. In fact, she wasn't Ryan's only person here. Yes. And so she's got like a letter that he wrote to one of the other women. Mm-hmm. And she starts to read those words. And Chloe, being deranged and deluded as she is, she hears the words not from Emily Prentice, but she hears them 
in the angel maker's voice and gets mesmerized. And so Lee uses the fate and starts walking towards the front of the house where the megaphone is. Morgan finally has found the window. He's in there now. He's finally able to, since she conveniently left Faye, he's able to get to Faye. And, and, And again, none of this makes any sense, but Morgan has found his way inside to the bedroom now, shuts the door, puts his hand over Faye's mouth and says, shh, don't talk. As if Faye's not going to think that Morgan is with Chloe and also trying to kill her and isn't going to scream instantly and start kicking. No, she's like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> not realistic. But okay, we got this whole thing where there's, there's the voiceover and we're hearing the voice. And if I'm Chloe, maybe I think, you're lying. You're just reading the letter he wrote to me because that sounds exactly like a letter he wrote to me. Right. I don't know. None of none of this makes no sense. Morgan escorts Faye out the window. Right, doesn't. And <laughs> Go ahead. but somehow the sound of him escorting her out the window makes just enough noise to have Chloe snapped out of her reverie, going, "No, yes. <laughs> she's escaping." <laughs> And so she runs to the bedroom just in the nick of time to see that she is now alone in the house. And she starts just to trash the place. Yeah, she's just she's going mad. She's going nuts now. Now, I got uh, I got I have to admit, I got a little lost here. How how did somehow Chloe winds up with a gun here? OK, well, she had a gun. She had a gun the whole time. Now, why? Couldn't tell you. Because <laughs> she was going to hammer the woman. Well, again, I think it was she has a gun to protect herself because I guess in any situation she might need it. But obviously the she can't shoot these people because that's not the way the Angel Maker did it. So, again, I don't understand it. Maybe her plan was to kill herself the whole time. Um, and like, you know, she would finish his work by killing Faye with the pattern, with the, with the ice pick. And then she chewed herself to join him. I think kind of makes sense that maybe that's what her plan was. Because mm-hmm. she's never surviving this. Right. I mean, okay. I, I don't know. But anyway, Hotch knows what's up. And he's, you know, he tells the sheriff. It's basically like, yeah, look, she, we just took her last victim. She's going to suicide by cop. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's going she's to come out. Like, the, clearly, that's going to be the thing. And, and that's basically what happened. She comes out. Points the gun so that the sheriff and all his flunkies shoot. I mean, you know, Hotch of the BAU probably would have been cool and not shot her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just been like, no, we ain't going to give you what you want. We got bulletproof vests on and you're not that good a shot. But no, the sheriff just goes bang, bang, bang. And all that noise is not good for our our eardrum <laughs> uh, injured Hotch. No, but no, no here's the thing. <laughs> Wouldn't you have thought that this would have led to something this episode where maybe Hotch has to do something and the noise prevents him from doing his job because he really shouldn't be back and he's pushed it Mm -hmm. too much and like there'd be a mistake or maybe the unsub would get away or something to the point of this. But really, all that happens is Hotch goes, no, I'm cool. It's all good. (laughs) Uh, yeah. 
Very interesting execution I mean, there of that that idea. It doesn't make any sense, but it, yeah. All right, so yeah, all right. So Chloe's like, "I'm coming, you baby." She's dead, and, and okay, and they pull back her shirt, and she's punctured herself right. while she was in the house, so that she is the final victim. She's completed the cycle, and okay, great. Yeah, she's the dove. <laughs> um. Super, super, super. <laughs> all right, so we we're done. We get to wrap it up. This wrap up also, I don't understand this wrap up at all. I really don't. Well, so we have our quote while yeah. we, we're doing the wrap up. It's Hotch again, voiceovering with the voiceover. Wendell Berry said, the past is our definition. We may strive with good reason to escape it or to escape what is bad in it, but we will escape it only by adding something better to it. I don't buy that. <laughs> usually, usually I'm okay with the quotes. I don't get it. I don't see it. Um, yeah. So the sheriff and his girlfriend, because <laughs> it's clear that he's with the woman whose daughter had been killed by the angel baker, mm-hmm. and they've been together. So yeah, yeah, okay. I actually, I like. I, I don't mind the fact that they never made this important because it's not important. Right. It's but again, it's just weird. <laughs> She's cooked brownies to give Hotch for the drive back because he can't fly. Yep. <laughs> He's going to drive back. And and so basically the lesson that Hotch learned is that I'll drive back and by that time I'll be healed. Yeah, because <laughs> she said it's probably going to heal. And Rossi is just like, yeah, hey, you know, you might want to even stretch out your drive a day or two. And Hotch is like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> Cool. That's what I'll do. Thanks. <laughs> and that's our episode, AJ. And that's our episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's he, how it he, ends. He makes one joke. Yeah, he makes one joke. It's like, you know, like, Hot, you, 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 because Morgan basically is like, so Hot, you weren't really clear to fly? It's like, yeah, when have you followed directions? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, Mr. Ambulance Man. <laughs> but yeah, that's other it. than that, like, it, it's over. <laughs> Uh, AJ, I, I I gotta ask you, what do you think? How do we rate on the barometer for this episode? Did you consider this episode a win, or did you consider it a loss for the team? I mean, yeah, we won. <laughs> we somehow uh, figured out the unsub because Emily looked at a piece of notebook paper, paper the eight stars in the sky, <laughs> and Reed was able to solve uh, Aryan code with his brain that really should have been uh, something that would have taken a thousand years and, and a clone. Uh, but, but we did it all. Rossi noticed something in a notebook and didn't really think it was important, but it was the only thing that we really needed to know. Oh, boy. Um, but yes, yes, we we caught the unsub. Um, <laughs> the case is solved. There will be no more victims. Uh, yes, we win. I don't know how, but we did. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Another win for the BAU. I am uh, so proud of those guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, have I mentioned that season four is my favorite season? <laughs> I think you did say that before. Uh, like four and eight. Those are probably my two favorite. Uh, so this episode, not, not, not a good one. <laughs> but I, I think it's, it's the, you know, is one of the bad episodes that's just filler because we had to get back and 
figure this out and kind of wrap up everything. And, and but no, this is not a good yeah. episode. This is not a good case. But 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 we certainly did win. <laughs> we so. certainly did. All right. <laughs> so in case you have skipped around a few episodes, we no longer do three questions based on the episode. We've sort of narrowed it down to just the best part, the essence of what makes this segment <laughs> a true joy each and every time we do it, where we we ask the question where I have to try to predict what's going to happen in the next episode. So AJ, take it away, if you will. Yes, I'll be teasing it out yes, for next yes. week's episode. What can Todd will the plot be of our next episode, Criminal Minds, season four? Episode three, entitled Minimal Loss. Minimal Loss. Is it A, a classic adaptation of the trolley problem has the BAU, and specifically Rossi, left with the impossible decision of which group of people is going to die at the hands of a devious unsub? Is it B? Morgan and Hotch are at odds as to the proper way to handle a local bank robbery gone wrong, and the lives of 50 people hang in the balance. Is it C? Reed and Prentice go undercover in the middle of a Colorado cult, but end up as hostages when it is unexpectedly raided. Or is it D? Strauss returns to hamper the team's efforts, when they get invited by the Texas Rangers to stop a serial arsonist from striking yet another match. Oh, the Texas Rangers. <laughs> Not the I, I was team. like, what? With the Texas Rangers? As in, as in Walker, Texas Rangers. Okay. The Texas Rangers. Oh, you know, they wouldn't be state police. They'd be Rangers. I, Texas. I, I got you now. <laughs> it took me a second. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you Darvish calls on the phone. I was really trying to figure that one out. Okay. Uh, uh, but anyway. Manager Ron Washington <laughs> takes his team back to the World Series. Oh, gosh. AJ, I would like to see Strauss again, but I think you're teasing me with that one. So I am not going to say choice D. I think the answer that stuck in my mind for some reason is the Colorado Colts. Can you read that one to me one more time? Choice C. Uh, Reed and Prentice go undercover in the middle of a Colorado cult, but end up as hostages when it is unexpectedly raided. Let's go with that. C. Colt in Colorado. Let's go with that one. You know, I do love myself an adaptation of a trolley problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Chidi ain't here, and that's not what we're doing. We're going to Colorado. You have gotten it right. Pew, 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 pew. All right. Season four. Season four. <laughs> it's, I'm unstoppable this season. Well. <laughs> you didn't get last week, I didn't. Right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> starting now, <laughs> I'm going to be. That's okay. This episode wasn't good either. But starting now. <laughs> Colorado cult time. All right. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'm looking forward to our next episode. And some say a top 10 episode. Ooh. Then I'm really looking forward to it. I Now I'm uh, intrigued. Well, 
Folks, that is our episode of Felonious Pundits. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. I really hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us if you so choose. Not many have so chosen much. <laughs> you can. Well, there's a cottage industry for writing yes, to us. <laughs> you can write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. It's an unfortunate truth that nobody can do for you what you can do for you. Dove Cameron.